The Woj Pod is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead Goodyear more driven. The Ultimate Fighter, the reality show that brings top MMA prospects together under one roof to compete for a UFC contract is back. Stream the season premiere on Tuesday, June 1st, only on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here to talk some New York Knicks today with the great Mike Breen, the voice of the Knicks for MSG Network, and of course, the voice of the NBA for ESPN and ABC. And Mike was just awarded the Kirk Gowdy Award at the Basketball Hall of Fame for his incredible career, just honored there. And and of course, Jerry Ferrara, you know him for his roles as Joe Proctor in Power. You know him as Turtle and Honorage, who was the Knicks fan there. But, but in real life, Jerry is certainly a staple courtside. He was not courtside at the Garden for that game two win against Atlanta uh, on Wednesday night. He is home on the couch with a newborn son who, who Jerry, I am still relatively shocked, is not named Julius. It was close, Woj. I got to say, we had it down to the wire there. And then when I really thought about it, I said, God, what if he ever leaves or just something happens and I have to look at this, this beautiful baby boy as like a, it'd be like a painful moment. So I couldn't do it. And yeah, I had a, thanks for the intro following the hall of famer, Mike Breen. Always a pleasure to see you, Mike. And uh, this is a good day, gentlemen. This is a good day. Absolutely. There's a, there's a hangover still from, from last night, the exhilaration and the joy from being in that building, which, which, um, you know, we've all been there a bunch and, and had great moments, but last couple of nights, Woj were, um, were two of the most memorable nights I've ever had at the garden. The the feeling of it watching and and talking to people who are there, Mike, it's a combination of a lot of things, a team that has been out of the playoffs for eight years, uh, a team that people couldn't, most people couldn't, it's not like just a return to the playoffs with the Knicks, but it's, it's fans who couldn't get in the building all year to watch a team that they loved that has been a, a, a blast to watch this season and a surprise. Um, and then coming out of quarantine and, and then all those things converging, it's it. the garden has been a madhouse. You know, it's like when you see the videos of families who hadn't seen their mothers or their fathers or their brothers because of the pandemic for over a year. Well, it was this Nick family that hadn't seen each other for for over a year and now they get to gather for the first time and they're gathering over a wonderful moment a, a moment of a team that they've they've fallen in love with a team they've waited for for the longest time to be able to watch uh, and it was really emotional right before tip off of game one the, there was a rousing edition of um of the national anthem the place is going crazy i was looking around because our broadcast location is now in the stands it's not down on courtside so you almost feel like you're in the midst of the stands with the fans there were people who had tears in their eyes and and more than just a few it was it was a really emotional moment for the reason you said uh, because not only are these last few years you know they haven't been in the playoffs but they've been some brutal years and it all comes together with with everything it was the perfect storm for a night that had just a, a plethora of emotions and Jerry, you've you're watching this from home. You've been at the Garden. You, you you've watched a lot of rough nights courtside the last few years. I I think, and like Mike said, it this Knicks team. It's not a whole, it's not a significantly different team 
from last year, except for Tom Thibodeau and Derrick Rose comes over in the trade from Detroit. But the team was good when Derrick Rose arrived. He made better. And, and it's funny, too, you think about there were those who wondered, is it the right thing to bring in Derrick Rose? Is he going to stunt the growth of you know, Emmanuel quickly? I mean, that, that went out the window uh, pretty fast. But it, it just feels like, especially in a year where if you're a Knicks fan, you're just kind of bracing for all I'm going to do is hear about the Nets this year. It's going to be about Durant and Kyrie, and then James Harden comes. And this is a Knicks town again. Yeah, and look, to me, it always is, but I got a couple of things on that. Uh, first and foremost, all throughout this year, I have not done any real podcasts with anyone or called into any NBA radio shows because I'm like, I don't know, this is too good. I am not going to put any kind of reverse jinx on them. I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> I'm going to ride this out. So that was that. As far as game two, this is what I was spouting off about on Twitter, and Mike will know this better than anyone. The Knicks have won games like last night all year long where it's like, ah, oh, they're not really looking particular. They're not shooting well. And then they just, they turn it on, they get it together and they go on great runs. They, they, they beat the Hawks like this earlier in the year. So, and uh, it always is a Knicks town to me. And as far as like, even like with the Durant Kyrie stuff, like, of course, as a fan, I was all for it too. Like, yeah, we get Durant and Kyrie to be great. This might sound like sour grapes, but I assure you it's not, or justification. I prefer this version as a fan because Julius Randle was a good player, came to New York, became a great player. Okay, Quickly's our guy. RJ's our guy. Mitch is our guy. Oh, these are, this is a New York team, you know? So, of course, I would have loved Durant and Kyrie. We'd be, you know, competing for a championship, but we still kind of are. And it's all with guys who became what they are in New York. And then we have great vets, obviously, with D-Rose and Taj and Bullock. I mean, Taj Gibson last night, my gosh, was he, I mean, he was emotional after in his press conference. What a game. So I, I'm just floating right now. I, have, I haven't slept because of a newborn, but I also haven't slept because I'm devouring all the Knicks content <laughs> right now I can get. Mike, you, you talked about sitting in the stands for these games right now. And, you know, you do the Nick, you do the Knicks MSG telecast with Clyde Frazier. What it is it? What has it been like to be with Clyde, uh, who obviously is one of the all-time Nick greats and, and a championship player, and, and he's been your partner for decades now. Seeing him and you know players who have you know guys who played for the Knicks who have such pride in being a part of that history to see the place um, you know on fire again. Well, Clyde to gain Clyde's respect if if you're a team or a player. Um, it's all about playing hard, playing defense, and playing for each other. And that's what Tibbs preaches every day. So he loves Tom Thibodeau. Uh, and he loves this team, and he respects this team because they do just that. And, you know, you were talking about all the players, these type of players, and Jerry's right. It's, it's the type of team that, that the Nick fans love because of their stories and their narratives of, of how they got to this particular year. But it's the same thing with the head coach. Here's a head coach. He's tough. He's gruff. He's old fashioned. It's all about rolling up your sleeves, throw out all the cliches. They all apply. Uh, but it's it's all about just his work ethic. He's like, you know, we talk about this team that's competitive. He's like the most competitive coach on the sidelines. You can see. I mean, we watch him all the time. He's barking at the refs. He's barking at his teammates. He's pacing up and down. He's throwing his arms up in the air. He's, he's emotional. And a lot of coaches obviously get into it. Uh, but he's the perfect coach 
for this fan base. And he's the perfect coach for these players at this time in their careers. And it's just, you know, it's a match made in heaven between Tibbs, the players, and the fans. Yeah, and I think, you know, Tibbs, you know, listen, the opportunity in New York, he wasn't sure if there was going to be another head coaching opportunity for him. And if Leon Rose and William Wesley don't take over the Knicks, I'm not sure if Tom Thibodeau is a head coach, probably certainly not this season, but moving forward, it's it's unclear that it was going to probably be somebody who had a relationship and who had history with Tom Thibodeau that was going to hire him and, and knew him on a level that maybe other GMs or team presidents or owners didn't. And I think that sequencing is so important in this Nick revival of, of again, Leon coming in, he hires Wes and Tibbs comes in and it's been, it was the perfect team for him. A lot of, as you guys said, some cast off guys, some guys who maybe had been given up on or just, it's funny. I was texting last night during the game with some, somebody in the NBA and we're looking at this Nick uh, Hawks roster. And if you did a draft of the two rosters, you know, I think Trey Young would go first and Julius Randle would go second. And after that, except for R.J. Barrett and, and, and certainly Derrick Rose and kind of where he is in a career, you'd mostly be taking Hawks guys. I mean, if you're being honest about it. But yet it, it's, it speaks to how this Nick team plays together, how hard they play. And that's what carried them to me in the regular season. Had so many teams say that to me, coaches or GMs, just saying like, like we've got the Knicks in town tonight and we're, it's like an afternoon game in our place and we don't play great in afternoon games. They will come out and kick our ass because they're going to play hard. You know what you get from them every night. And then you get to the playoffs and everybody's playing harder, certainly. But there's no question that the sum is greater than the parts with it, this Knicks team. And it, and it starts with, with Tom Thibodeau. He's the definition of leadership. You know, players want to be coached hard. Players want to win. And, and he provides them with the opportunity because they're so well prepared. And, you know, we always talk about players who improve. Obviously, Julius Randle most improved. So we talk about that all the time, but players year to year get better. Coaches get better as well. Yeah. And, and I think he has learned from every place he's been and learned from being out of the game. And you improve on things that you did extremely well, and you improve on your weaknesses. And I think sometimes we don't give uh, enough credit to coaches who improve from year to year as well. No, you're right. And I think Tom knew, especially being out after Minnesota, he, he was going to have options after Chicago, and he did have options. There were a lot fewer options coming off of being president and head coach for him and how it ended in Minnesota. But I do think he, I think away from the court and his relationships with people. And again, I think that gets back to having Leon Rose in there. Like Leon can give it back to Tibbs. And I think that's healthy. Like if Tibbs is grumbling about something like all head coaches are going to do, but he's going to do maybe in the course of a year, like Leon can give it back to him. But there's history there, and they can bust chops. And I think that's been a really healthy thing for them and a big part of why this works and how they see players. And I just think that marriage has been has been great. And, and, and you're right, Mike. Like, he's, he's perfect, I, I think, for a time and place in New York and this fan base and the way they've taken to him and how the team plays – you know, in New York, they're always everyone's always kind of looking back to the 90s and what it was and how do we recreate it. And the league has changed so dramatically from then. It can't look like that anymore. But I think Tibbs brings an element of it back, you know, meshed in with this modern game. And it's been, um, it's really been the story, I think, 
you know, one of the stories of the season and, and certainly the playoffs so far, just seeing the reaction of those Nick crowds to this team, you know, now, now going to Atlanta 1-1 has been, it's been an indelible image. The other thing too, I always look at to wrap it up with Tibbs is, and look, it's a lot easier when you're winning, but I look at the bench, right? I look at the guys who don't really get to play much. The, you know, guys like Knox who have been in the lineup in the beginning and out and just guys who've fallen out of their rotation and they are as engaged as every fan is in that building. And I do think that is a part of coaching as well, you know, and um, cause you could see he, he, he'll put Frank in at the end of a game who hasn't really played much. So you got to stay ready in that entire bench, you know, whether you're a starter getting some rest or you're a guy who literally is not going to touch the court Everyone is engaged, and it seems like there is like a a group voice as a bunch of individuals. So uh, it's it's awesome to watch. He's done great. I wanted Tibbs before we went to Minnesota. I was hoping maybe the Knicks would have went after him then. So this was a, a long time coming for me. I think he's done a fantastic job. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Jerry, if, if the Honorage guys, if <laughs> if your group was out in L.A., this was happening in New York, is it the private jet? Would you guys be on the private jet? Would, would E be organizing that? You'd be organizing that and you guys would be at the garden. Is there any doubt about that? There is definitely an entourage episode out of this. Okay, for sure. There's like, we have to get to this Knicks game, but there's going to be a problem, of course, that we have to overcome in order to make it to the private jet. And who's going to give us the ride over to New York right. to get and there? You'd have, you'd have your number 30 Bernard King jersey all gassed up going, I can wear this with Julius Randle now. Oh, yeah. I right. saw that all over the internet, too. I mean, I wore that in the pilot episode of... Uh, of entourage. So that's almost, geez, we're going back almost 20 years. So, uh, but I've also worn Steve Francis jerseys, <laughs> jerseys uh, Alan Houston. I've worn pretty much whoever was putting up points for the Knicks over the years on that, on entourage. And, you know, whoa, I, I, you know, seen Jerry at the garden so many times and, and the beauty of, of this whole thing for me, is the fans how they're being rewarded for their loyalty because there's been some rough stretches. And I always look back the last several years, you know, you'd have a game in April and the Knicks have been eliminated from the playoffs for a month and the place is still crowded. And in the fourth quarter of a two point game, they're going crazy. Like they're in the middle of a, of a playoff series. It's amazing how they just were so starved for a team like this, that they would be rooting for a team that's 20 games under 500 like they were going to the championship and to see fans like Jerry be rewarded with a team like this. Um, and I always feel as, as a fan base, the best teams are the ones that are the, that surprise you that overachieve that come out of nowhere and go what, wow, I never thought they'd be this good. And to have it, that's, that's all part of the jubilation that the fans are feeling. Yeah. And I think having a ready-made villain 
and Trey Young. I mean, I don't think Trey knew it was coming. Uh, he walks in the building and they're on him. And it was as if like, okay, who's our Knicks fans picked him right out. Uh, he was all of a sudden now he's on the back pages with, you know, inset photos of, of Reggie Miller. <laughs> and, and I think he's loving it, but that, that element has been pretty great too. It does make you feel like, uh, you know, how it used to feel where just, and Reggie reveled in it, obviously Trey, obviously not nearly as accomplished as Reggie when Reggie was going through it in, in New York, but he certainly embraced it. And I think you, listen, anybody wants to play on that stage. And that's, what's interesting to me too, guys, is there's a generation of NBA players who've not seen really any really relevant postseason games at the garden. You know, Mike Woodson had the one run eight years ago, which, you know, may or may not stay in people's minds, but it is a reminder that there's like this other place to play. You know, guys like to come play their one or two, you know, one or two regular season games in the garden during the season. But but this is different. And and I think I think opposing players are gonna see and, and maybe if the Knicks win this and, and you're in the next round and all of a sudden now it's Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons coming in, that as much as ever, this is still a place you can you can build your cred as an NBA star as an opponent. Yeah, it was cool to see LeBron tweet during the game and it flashed up that just like, man, MSG is rocking. Here's our, you know, greatest basketball player in the world still. And he's watching the playoffs and thinking, oh my God, the garden sounds crazy. So, uh, and as far as Trey Young, I mean, it's deserved. He's scary. That's what goes into this villain thing in the garden. You have to be a scary player like Reggie Miller was. And I, I, Trey Young scares the life out of me trying to guard him every place. So it's warranted. But uh, yeah, it's been a while. I think everybody's forgot. Mike Mike remembers, and I, I think that's what uh, Mike is enjoying seeing when he's calling these games now, too. Yeah, it's um, it does bring back so many memories. They played, they played a video of Patrick Ewing in game one. And as soon as his face came on the screen, the place went nuts to the point where you couldn't hear what his message was because they were screaming so loud for him. And, you know, Trey Young is that is a perfect villain and he gets it, too. I, I love how he said, hey, I take it as a compliment. They wouldn't hate me so much if I, I wasn't causing problems. But and I'm going to sound like the gray haired old man here. But can we come up with a different chant? Please, please come up with a different. I'm chant. with you, Mike. I'm with you. Don't get per. I'm with you. I'm don't with just you. I mean, you can get hostile. Just don't be vulgar. And it, I've never heard that in 30 years doing NBA games. You know, you've heard the 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 other, other words used, but not that word by so many people. So I hope they can come up with something a little more clever. Well, this series is really just starting, goes back to Atlanta now for games three and four. Mike, you're on your way to Boston for that Nets-Celtics game three on Friday night. Jerry, I know you're back to the couch uh, being a dad here and rooting these Knicks on from, from a distance. But uh Appreciate both uh, Mike Green, Jerry Ferraro, you guys for jumping in, talking some Knicks during this fun playoff run. Appreciate you guys, and and I know we'll all catch up soon. Nothing's Thanks, made Woj. me happier. Yeah, nothing's made me happier than doing this today. <laughs> Congratulations, Jerry. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back into the Woj Pod. Here with the great Kevin Gandhi, host of the 6 p.m. Sports Center on ESPN, and you know I'm on college uh, in the studio on ABC College Football and ESPN College Football. But most importantly, um, 
you know, the, the preeminent Sixers Philadelphia <laughs> fan uh, in our little corner of the world in Bristol. Kevin, I, I'm going to ask you how you are. I know you're doing great. Sixers are up 2-0 on the Wizards, playing great, healthy, uh, back, fans back in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't imagine it gets much better than this in, in, in your world. No, it doesn't. Uh, you know, Sunday's experience was fantastic. Uh, they they opened it up to ten thousand fans, and you could feel the electricity in the building. Um, half, I mean, half capacity, but you couldn't tell. And uh, the performance last night, the way they played in Game Two, obviously, the discussion afterwards is is not about what we saw on the court, but what we saw with the behavior of one idiot. Um, and unfortunately, it paints a broad brush on on the fan base, which I always think is uh, simply unfair uh, because I, I felt like last night was a great night, Woj, like a great experience for the fans and a great vibe of where this team can be uh, when they're hitting on all cylinders. And they still didn't have to have over 30 minutes from a guy like Tobias or Joel Embiid because they were in control. So things are very good in this opening round. You know, I the Philadelphia psyche starts to get a little tight when we start thinking about second round matchups. And then we start, you know, we saw what the Knicks and Hawks just did. And, and then of course we, everybody circles that third round matchup, not looking too far ahead, but uh, maybe a potential showdown against the Nets. Well, it, it couldn't have set up any better for the Sixers in a, in a year and in a time when people are like, "Eh, I'm not worried about not, the one seed doesn't have as much value as long as I'm healthy, as long as my guys are fresh going into the playoffs. If we're a really talented team, we think we can play anybody anywhere. But not only do you get the home court throughout the Eastern playoffs, uh, the Sixers do, but, I mean, let's face it, you, you, you've you got a second-round potential matchup up 2-0 in Washington now. New York or Atlanta, who I think are going to beat them, beat each other up for mm-hmm. seven – I I kind of felt from the beginning that was a seven game series. I think it will be, and and we'll see if the Sixers can can take care of business in Washington with the Wizards. But that one seed did matter for the Sixers, and they don't have to face the Nets until potentially the conference final. And you know you allowed, you know you certainly allowed Milwaukee and Miami to go at it. Milwaukee's up in that series. We'll see what happens back in. Miami, but but I think for Philly, that number one seed was important, and you know they're in so they're in really good position to potentially uh, be able to get to a conference final at the least. Whoa, it's huge, and it's huge for this specific team. Um, I know they added veterans like the Danny Greens and the Seth Currys, but specifically when you look at the foundation of this team, led by Joel and Ben, it was huge to get the one seed because they feed off the crowd. Uh, uh, specifically Joel Embiid feeds off the crowd. Last night he was pulling his Allen Iverson move and, you know, he's looking at the crowd, going to the free throw line after a bucket and he's waving his arms up. He plays off of them. They play off of him. And you saw that play a huge role. Well, there were a lot of other issues with that team last year inside the bubble, but to not have the vibe of um, the fan base uh, last year, they just looked dead. And, And again, 
not having Ben Simmons on the floor in that series, uh, that that's why they flamed out. It just shows you how critical Ben's play is on the floor to separate this team from not just being a conversation of are you a title contender, but are you a title favorite? And I think that's where we go into this conversation a little bit deeper with Simmons' performance on the floor offensively, setting things up, but also finding a way to score. Because, Woj, in the end, they're going to be late games. Uh, and tight games, as, we, as you see the Eastern Conference kind of get smaller and smaller. And when it comes to those grinding games, who do you want on the free throw line? And you want Joel Embiid at the free throw line. Mm-hmm. You want Seth Curry at the free throw line. You want Tobias Harris at the free throw line. Simmons has to figure some things out because he's the primary ball handler. And I think that is the concern of the conversation here. In tight games, where is this team going to be, going to be in potentially round two of the Eastern Conference Finals? Kevin, I'm not sure when you think of duos who've been together for a period of time, the the Joel Embiid Ben Simmons partnership is a fascinating one. There's always lots of opinions about the two of them together, and 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 of course trying to have the right supporting cast for them, and bringing in Doc Rivers as coach and Daryl Morey as as president GM. What, what's the what's the difference in the relationship in Philly? The fans sort of the public relationship with Embiid and with Simmons. So I think a lot of this also goes through maturity and growth and understanding their roles and understanding that uh, you can have potentially two franchise players. But Joella comes in there and he is such a larger-than-life personality, right? And Ben can still live in that locker room like that with Joel around. And I think those two guys had to figure out their roles and what each wanted from each other and what each could give to each other and what was understandable. I also think another key thing is when you bring in Danny Green and Seth Curry from outside uh, franchises and they, they know how to win. They've seen it. They've experienced it with other stars. You have Tobias Harris there who who understands the relationship between both of them. And I think Tobias is kind of a bridge. The other thing that really stands out this this year is Doc Rivers. You can see Doc publicly always go out in front and defend Ben Simmons. And I think he does it in a way where it's like, I've got Ben's back, but also Ben will take my criticism behind closed doors. And that is really important, uh, being receptive to mistakes and saying, okay, what do I need to do? And, and the perfect example is what we saw from game one to game two, right? Game one, he's facilitating. He's trying to understand, do a lot of other things defensively, uh, specifically against Bradley Beal, the second leading scorer uh, in the league. And he, he he played really well. But the conversation afterwards, he wasn't aggressive enough, right, offensively and scoring. What does he do in the first play of the game in game two? He calls out for the ball on the blocks, understands the mismatch against Russell Westbrook, scores 12 points early on, and then that sets the tone for everybody else. And I think that is such a big, big difference here from uh, what we've seen in the past. Another thing, when Joel gets into foul trouble or when we've seen Joel get hurt and not play, when you have the dynamic of Tobias Harris on the floor who says, We're, we don't need Ben to score here. In game one, I'm going to take over and score 16 straight points while he's, you know, Joel's on the bench. Mm-hmm. That plays a huge role. It takes, I think, the pressure off Simmons feeling that he needs to do something he's not most comfortable with. And that is take an outside jumper. Ben's one of those guys. I look at Ben as 
you know, I know the game's changed, but 40 years ago, Magic Johnson did not have a jumper. But Magic Johnson had the size mismatch as a point guard, found a way to get everybody involved, and then found a way to have that baby hook in the middle. And you're seeing Simmons understand that I've got to go in the blocks. Let me get that mismatch against a 6'1", 6'3", 6'4", guard. Give me the ball. Let me get that jump hook early on. And it changes everything. And I think it also helps Joel say, I don't have to carry this team at all times. And when you can have that back and forth, it, it eases the relationship, I think, on and off the court. Yeah, you, you know, you mentioned Doc Rivers, and Philly is a city that I don't know if it's – it always seems to be as more skeptical of its leaders, coaches, GMs, than any city. They seem to be in the crosshairs more <laughs> than other places. They seem to be – in some places, you know less about who management is in Philly, it doesn't matter the sport, and that's certainly been the case. Listen, it was certainly the case for Brian Colangelo in Philly and the relationship with the city after Sam Hinkie left, and and then obviously now um, Daryl Morey coming in. Um, you know, Elton Brand bridged that front office in the time, and Elton's still a big part of that Sixers front office. But it, it just seems like – now we'll see – Listen, it all changes with a bad playoff loss or an upset or you don't get past the Bucks in the second round. But it feels like there is this love affair in the city with having Daryl Morey there, having Doc Rivers. And, you know, uh-huh. you get judged on results. Uh, but I, I've never quite seen it like this with the city where they just they, – they, they seem to have really embraced these guys and, and believe that, that they're difference makers. You know, that's well put. We, we – First off, we are super insecure from from the get go. We are super. Um, I think about this. I mean, I, in my lifetime, I've watched the '83 Sixers. I've watched the 2008 Phillies, and the 2018, or you could say 2017 Eagles. Three championships. But we went 25 years from '83 to 2008 without anything. Right, getting close, sniffing, you know, but nothing when it comes to celebrating a championship. So as a result, you 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 create this kind of um, insecurity and negativity, no matter what. That uh oh, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop because this is too good to be true. And we are so passionate, we put in so much into it that we want to also make sure the decision makers, which, like you said, the GMs and the coaches, and sometimes the owner are under the bigger microscope than the actual players. And Brett Brown was under that; he was feeling the heat. Mm-hmm. You know, and the dynamic of Sam Hinkie, you know, Sam Hinkie is one of those guys that either you loved him or you despised what he was doing when it came to the process and the idea of collecting lottery picks. But there's this young group of Sixers fans, because in the beginning I was like, this is ridiculous. This goes against anything I understand, and the idea of tanking. And then over time I was like, okay, he is playing the system well. And there was a, there was a young group of fans who said, this is how it needs to be done now. He sees the future and the way the game is changing. And I, it, he turned me over. I, I now am a process believer. And that was somewhere a few years ago where I was like, I get it. I understand it. Now, when you look at Daryl Morey, who's the mentor to Sam Hickey, mm-hmm. and Sam Hickey is, is, is worshipped in turning this franchise around, you get the instant credibility that he has. And then you have Doc Rivers because, you know, we we also have an insecurity, too, in this belief that we're in between New York and Washington. And everybody talks about 
New York, everybody talks about Chicago and L.A., but Philadelphia should be in that conversation. So there's also a feeling that, hey, Doc Rivers chose us. He wanted to come to Philadelphia because he sees something in us. And then all of a sudden we embrace that. But you're right. We are in a, in a honeymoon phase. I actually joke with Daryl about that. Daryl, uh, you know, and I were laughing about that. that there is this phase going on. And, and Daryl's fully aware of it. Ride it as long as you can. And the it comes down to one thing. If you show that you give a darn, Woj, in this town, mm-hmm. they will accept you with all your flaws. But if you come in thinking you're better and you're arrogant, they will call you out even with success. Because the one thing we always ask for is, can you deliver and do you love this as much as we do as a fan base? And when they see certain like, – I go back to Allen Iverson. Iverson is beloved regardless of not winning a ring just because he loved basketball the way the Sixers fans loved it, right? I go back to Dick Vermeil. Dick Vermeil, mm-hmm. 40 years ago, led the Eagles to the Super Bowl, didn't win one. And yet he is more beloved than any Eagles coach. You can make a case for Andy Reid. But like more beloved than any Eagles coach through generational uh, relationships because they felt like, you know, he loved this team as much as we love this Eagles team. And that's kind of the relationship that uh, I think Philadelphia has with its its coaches, GMs, and athletes. Can the Sixers win the East? I think so. I really do. Uh, because one thing they can do, Woj, that uh, when you look at matchups, they can defend. And, and Ben can defend anybody out there. But when you have Matisse Thibel defend, and Matisse, yeah, I think last night he had, what, five blocks and four steals or, or five steals and five blocks and 19 minutes. When, when he can come out with that energy, the only issue is the offensive deficiencies because you're going to have to outscore a Nets team that can score at all options, right? You shut down one, but who's going to cover the other two? I don't think anybody can contain Kevin Durant. It's a question of what can you do against Kyrie? What can you do against James Harden? Can you slow those guys down, right? Mm-hmm. But in the end, the Nets don't have an answer for Joel Embiid. So who's going to play defense in the end? And Woj, I've brought this up several times in the last year. Tobias Harris is the key for this team as that second option. And if Tobias is running downhill, it feels like, and attacking the rim in Doc's offense, it changes so many things up, especially when you have the spacing on the perimeter with the two guards or the two shooters in green as well as Seth Curry. You know, you might have to beat Milwaukee first. I know. And that's (laughs) crazy. I don't believe that series. We have seen too many times where, first of all, Miami probably should have won game one. They, they were right there. That thing would be game, you know, tied 1-1. Miami's going to play well at home. I think Bam is going to is going to show in this series. And and I love the changes Milwaukee's made, and I think they're better built for the postseason than they had been in the past. I think they have the more shot makers on the court. I think they, they can create more offense away from Giannis and Chris Middleton than they could before. And, and Mike Budenholzer defensively, um, is always going to scheme really well in, in a series. And so I'm not – that one's not over to me. I feel a lot different about Milwaukee going back to Miami 2-0 than the Sixers going to Washington. I don't think Washington has enough. Uh, maybe they can take a game. I, yep. I just – after Brad Beal and, and Westbrook, I just don't think they have enough um, to compete with uh, uh, the Sixers. And But but certainly, yeah, you're right. And you, you said Tobias Harris and um, – he is going to be, you know, he's the perfect third 
guys, the right personality and temperament, a little bit like Clay Thompson and Golden State in that, you know, you just you just don't ever have to worry about his mood, what's going on with him. He's just going to come and be the same guy every day. I mean, I remember when I love about Tobias was when he earlier in the year when he got left off the all-star team and he was chirping at fans or, or, or about the coaches who had left him off and mm-hmm. the vote and all that. And he couldn't even muster a curse word as he's yelling at. And you're laughing because he's such a good guy. And he, and, and he wasn't, he just, he couldn't even muster a curse word when he would, when he'd have a big game, a big moment and, and, and would kind of blurt something out in the court. He's, he's, he's the best in that way. Yeah. He's my son's, uh, my oldest son's favorite player. Uh, not Ben, not Joel. Um, and I will share one quick story. It was after game four, the Raptors Sixers uh, series uh, back in 2019. And the six, if the Sixers won that game, I think they win the series. And they, they couldn't hit any outside shots in the fourth quarter. And we're in the hallway afterwards. And my, my oldest is now nine. He was seven at the time. We ran into Tobias and my son's. Both of them wanted to see him and meet him. And I was like, we'll see. I don't know what we can do. I mean, they just lost a tough game. And <laughs> Tobias was so gracious and conversational in, in literally two minutes in meeting uh, my two sons. And my oldest walked away saying, that's it. That's my guy from here on out. <laughs> and, and then, and then you know, you know, we go to Sunday's game and, he, and my son requests the jersey. And, and Tobias has a phenomenal game. It just shows you the impact of, mm-hmm. of, of relationships that, yeah. that players can have on, on, on young kids. And I'm grateful for that. And, and I'll add one final thing. Mm-hmm. That Tobias knows his role on this team. And a big reason why is because Doc Rivers made sure he was aware of what the role is. And there's a comfort zone that you see with Tobias that we did not see the last couple of years. And it's made the biggest difference, I think, on the chemistry on the court with the squad. No, absolutely. Uh, uh, Kevin, there'll, there'll be a lot more here, a lot more Sixers talk uh, on this run. I know you'll be back commuting between down I-95 between Connecticut and Philly and trying to catch as many of these as you can. But I uh, appreciate you jumping on, talking some Sixers, and and I know we'll catch up soon. Well, it's my pleasure, man. It's always it's always great to connect with an old-school A-10 rival, no matter what. The Bonnies, yeah, well, watch out for them this upcoming college basketball season. That's right. Uh, yeah, a little little uh, Temple St. Bonaventure. That was a very one-sided rivalry. <laughs> rivalry would be a strong word. We did play against each other on the same court in the conference, uh, but um, yeah, those were uh, those were fun days in McGonagall Hall. So uh, great stuff, Kevin. We'll we'll catch up soon, brother. Appreciate it, Woj. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you. To all my guests today, Hall of Famer Mike Breen, actor and Knicks fan Jerry Ferrara, and the all-time Sixers fan ESPN's Kevin Nagandi. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure also to listen to The Low Post with Zach Lowe, The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, and the Adam Schefter Podcast with my buddy Adam Schefter. We'll catch you next time.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.